of preaching the Christmas message. You may say, how could it be difficult? Just Jesus was born. Yeah, that's a small thing. Jesus was born. Praise God he was born. Those words of Mary, did you know, they they come out of Isaiah 35. We read a verse of that last night. I would recommend sometime today, go read Isaiah 35 and see the glories of what would come with the Messiah. Isaiah 35 is precisely what the Lord told His disciples to send back to John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been arrested. And he sent some messengers to Jesus to say, are you really Him? Are you the one? I believe it. But I'm in this prison cell, so, so what's going on? And Jesus sent back His disciples to John to say, tell them the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. And all that, that's all John would have needed to hear. Why? Because those words come straight out of Isaiah 35. That the Messiah had come. No, it it is a difficult message. Not because of the difficulty of the message. I, I feel that what makes the message so difficult is the inadequacy of the messenger. What words are there to describe the glories that Christ came? The fact that the one who created all things... The heavens and the earth, the galaxies, ten billions of them, all for the purpose of His praise, would be wrapped as a child in a manger, a feeding trough, born to poor, lowly people in a place designed for animals. The one who created all the heavens would lay as a helpless babe underneath the skies He helped create. Think of that. That for 33 years or so, the One who fashioned every aspect of this earth walked upon it and it did not crumble with every step. That the One who said, let it be, and there was, spoke to us in a way that we could hear His voice and know Him. Oh, it's a marvelous thing that Christ came. So you could see why a message like today would be so difficult. I'm so thankful for the Word of God. Because it helps me where I fall short. And I believe that there is one text that gives us a very trustworthy Christmas message. And this text is found in a place that we wouldn't expect. You know, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke verse by verse here for some weeks now. And we've had the extra privilege of looking at the birth narrative from really every angle. And what a special blessing that has been. So today we step out of Luke. We step out of the Gospels. We actually go to one of the pastoral epistles. This letter was written from the Apostle Paul to a young, uh, young pastor who had been mentoring and training and traveling with the Apostle Paul. And he had been sent to Ephesus to plant a church there. Now anyone who knows what it's like to be a young pastor, it's terrifying. I may or may not be speaking from experience. (laughs) But it's terrifying. And the, the call is overwhelming. 
And you're being asked to put this, this church together and put it into order in a place like Ephesus, especially, which was full of, of idolatry and false religion and paganism. And, and Timothy's got to be thinking, how in the world am I going to do this? He's going to be charged to preach the word, to set the church in order. All of these things that need to happen. What's so fascinating is in the midst of this difficult challenge that Timothy was facing. I think Paul understood the task that that Timothy felt. The hardships he knew he would face. The difficulties that would pose being a young man trying to lead a church, lead a people to Christ and in Christ and grow them up in Christ. And so what I, I think Timothy is thinking, how am I going to do this? I'm a nobody. How in the world is Christ going to use me? Doesn't he know my past? Doesn't he know I'm no one? How can I ever lead people to him? And to start off this letter, the Apostle Paul says, Timothy, look to the gospel. Look to the glories of Christ and that will give you everything you need to go and be what He's called you to be. Look to the gospel. Look at what He did with me. Look at the gospel. This morning I want us to see this most trustworthy Christmas message from the Apostle Paul. This is found in the opening chapter of his first epistle, his first letter to Timothy. I want to read it in its full context. We'll be focusing primarily on verse 15, but I want you to see where this fits in with Paul's teaching. He says in verse 12 through 17, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason. That in me as the foremost. Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. As an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages. Immortal. Invisible. The only God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. What a testimony. And at the very center of the testimony is the glorious reality of why Christ came. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know at the center of every one of your testimony is the reason why Christ came. This is why Christ came. Verse 15. This is the central message, the central point, the central thrust of a most trustworthy Christmas message. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, Paul says, referring to himself. 
Christ came to save sinners. Now, being one who has studied and, and, and been in academia and things like that, I can tell you what, sometimes summaries can be very dangerous. Because they can often be very simplistic. They can miss very important points. But I think if there was ever a summary of the gospel, this is a perfect one. Christ came to save sinners. Because every reason He came, everything He did in His coming, everything that He had to be for us to be saved was for the purpose of saving sinners. I want you to know today, brothers and sisters, Christ didn't come for the healthy. He didn't come for the righteous. He didn't come for those who think they have it all together. So if you think that that's you this morning, if you think you are good on your own, this message won't be for you. I hope to show that that's a foolish thinking here in a moment. But if you are a sinner, maybe even the greatest of them, Christ came for you. He came to save you to the utmost. And that is a reason to celebrate this morning. Christ is the center of Paul's testimony. He's the center of our testimony. And He is the center of our worship this morning. The main point of this summary text that Paul gives us is very clear. Jesus, the greatest Savior, came to provide the greatest salvation for even the greatest sinners. That is a a most trustworthy Christmas message. That's what this day is all about. My friend, I want you to know this morning, Christ did not come to create a holiday. He came to to save sinners. That's the only reason we're here to celebrate this morning. That's the only reason why anyone should be celebrating this morning. Christ came to save sinners. That's what this day is all about. Christ came to save. And that's why... As Christians, you should carry the Christmas reality in your heart every day of your life. Not one day a year. Because Christ came to save you. What a glorious message. I want to look at this text quickly and break it down looking at these kind of three main points. The greatest Savior, the greatest salvation, the greatest sinner. But I'm going to change the order a little bit. Because in order to feel the full thrust of this, you've got to get the order right. Notice, Paul didn't begin by saying how great a Savior Jesus was. He didn't even begin with talking about how awesome salvation is. He began his testimony with what? How great a sinner he was. So let's start with there. The greatest sinner. Listen to some of the ways that Paul describes himself in this testimony. He said, I was a blasphemer. A persecutor and an insolent opponent. There's three things there, right? A blasphemer. A blasphemer who is one who acts or speaks against the will of God. Who acts and speaks against the will of God or the character of God. And even though Paul or Saul at the time, really Saul of Tarsus, thought that he was doing work for God, when he came to see Jesus and to know Him, he realized that he was actually... Fighting against God. You know, so often in our lives, we think we're doing the right things, but praise God, He gave us a word. 
And when he gave us the light of his word, we can see that in all of our passions and all of the things that we were doing that we thought were right and good apart from God. The moment we get a picture and glimpse of Christ, we realize just how far off we actually were. He said, I was a persecutor. This is the, the, the Saul of Tarsus that we read of in Acts chapter 9, who was on his way to Damascus. It said, breathing murder. He wasn't going just to rally up and, and, and give people a ticket in Damascus. He was going to bring them to trial so that they would be stoned for blasphemy. He was going to kill Christians. He was a blasphemer, a murderer, and he says an insolent opponent. That is someone who literally is a rebel opposing God at every turn. This is why he would call himself the chief sinner. What is sin? Sin is an attitude of the heart that prefers other things over God. It's an attitude of the heart that prefers other things over God. That it, it, it chooses to worship created things rather than the Creator. Paul had a status to upkeep as a high, powerful Pharisee. And he would do anything to keep it, even if it meant murdering people, killing Christians. His status meant everything that was until he met Christ. We would read in Philippians 3, he said, I was all of these things. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, zealous for the law, righteous according to it in every way. But I counted all as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. Paul oftentimes called himself the chief of sinners, the worst of sinners, the greatest of sinners, the least of the apostles because of his dark past. But the truth of the matter, brothers and sisters, was Paul the worst sinner who's ever lived? Nope. Was his testimony true? Yes. Why? Because it was the testimony of a man who recognized just how sinful they are in the face of Christ. You see, the testimony of Paul saying, I am the chief of sinners, should be the testimony each and every one of you have in this room this morning. Because here's the truth of the matter, brothers and sisters. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 8 through 10 says no one is righteous. No one does what is good. No one seeks after God. No one's pretty clear there. It's not some of you are doing it. No one does. Sin is repulsed by God. There's a reason why. What's the first response of Adam and Eve after they sin and God shows up? What do they do? They run. They flee, they hide, because sin is repelled by God. It flees from it, it runs from it. And you've got to have Him reach out and grab you if you're ever going to be brought back. He's got to come get you. He's got to call you by name if you're going to come out. Otherwise, you'll stay running and hidden. That's what sin does. It repels from holiness. It repels from God. And all of us are there. All of us are the chief of sinners. And the most important truth that you can understand this morning of your own sinful nature is this, my friend. No one has ever sinned against you to the degree you have sinned against God. Every one of us have rebelled and sinned against the holy God, the one who created us, fashioned us, formed us, 
for the purpose of worshiping Him, looking to Him, praying to Him, going to Him, hungering for Him, yearning for Him. And so often how we are satisfied by two little things. We are satisfied by things who are, which are so unworthy. My friends, you are sinners. I am a sinner. And that means that we are at war with a holy God. We are under His just wrath and condemnation left to ourselves. Had we been left alone, had Christ not come, the only outcome we would have is hell. And it would have been just and right. All we would know is darkness and lostness and fear and sorrow and suffering. No hope, no meaning, no value. That's what sin offers you this morning. But he came. And I want you to know that the reason we have to start with this. Is because until you get this in your heart that you are the greatest of sinners, all of us are. That we are at war with God. That we are running from Him. That we are born totally manipulated against God and towards the flesh. You'll never realize how much you need a Savior. And this good news of great joy is just more like irrelevant news. Oh, Jesus came. Wonderful. That's great. So what? But when you realize how much darkness that you set in, how sinful you were. The fact that He came will leave your heart singing for eternity. Because that's how long you're going to do it. Eternity. You need to realize that we are the greatest of sinners. And that is who Christ came for. And the reason why that's important is because Christ didn't come because you were worthy. He came in spite of that. You aren't worthy. You weren't worthy. You know what gave you worth? The blood of Jesus. You find your worth in his wounds. That's where you find your worth. Christ didn't come because you were worthy. He came because you were a sinner. Don't run from it this morning. And you may think, well, I'm too far gone. Don't tell that to Paul. You are not too far gone. Paul makes it clear that Christ Jesus specifically saved Paul for the purpose of sending a message to all of the glorious reality of the patience of Jesus, he said. That he might demonstrate his patience in me. The very reason any of you are sitting in this morning is because Christ is patient. The very reason that Christ does not come back this moment, but is saving sinners from all over the world this morning, is because He's patient. Not desiring that any of you should perish, but that all would come to a knowledge of Him. He is patient. And you may think, how could He save me? How could He? The answer is, is grace and mercy and love. Christ coming for you was no fair trade agreement. The Son of God for sinful rebels? That's not a fair trade. That's not a fair at all. So maybe if you're ever complaining about life not being fair, you didn't want fair. I'm sure you didn't want fair. You didn't get fair in Christ. You got grace. That's what you got. You got grace unimaginable in Him. 
You are the greatest of sinners. We all are. And it doesn't matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've done coming into this place this morning, you are not out of reach for the greatest Savior. And that is who we must speak upon now. Now that you have recognized the place of your sinfulness and the reality that apart from Him, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, the Bible says. Totally cut off at war with a holy God, facing a just condemnation. The greatest Savior came. For you. You needed a Savior. You needed a Savior because here's the reality. You can't save yourself. The Bible makes that clear. Even our best acts, it says, apart from Christ, are filthy rags in the sight of God. We can act horizontally all day, but we can never bridge the gap between heaven and sinners. God had to come down for us. He had to come and get us. He had to come on a rescue mission for you and me. Every story, every fairy tale story that you've ever heard of, of the princess who's in the castle guarded by the dragon and the knight in shining armor comes to slay the dragon to rescue her. You know where that story comes from? Right here. You are guarded by the dragon in bondage and oppression to sin. And our great night came, Jesus. And at Calvary, he slayed that dragon. And he came in and he broke his bride free forever. He is the greatest savior. And you may ask, why is he the greatest savior? My friends, do you not know what it says of him? Let's just go back to Isaiah 9. He is the greatest Savior because He is wonderful counselor. My friend, you can go to all the counselors in this world. You'll never find an ear that cares more than Christ. He speaks to you exactly what you need in every moment. He provides care and comfort and compassion for you in a way that no one else can. He is wonderful counselor. Not only is He the greatest Savior because He's wonderful counselor, He's mighty God. Literally God. Colossians says that in Him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Do you hear that? The fullness of deity dwelled bodily. You see the perfect blending of the nature of Christ there? The fullness of the deity, He's God, dwelled bodily. Man, fully God, fully man, without any mixing. Why? He had to be both. He had to be both. Only God could come and give us an eternal salvation. Why? Because only God's eternal. Only God is the one who has always been. He said, I am that I am. Not I was, not I'm going to be. I am. He is eternal, unchanging, ever being. And because of that, He alone could provide an eternal salvation. Secondly, because He is God, His sacrifice for you is one of infinite value. That's why no other man could die for you. That's why no angel could come and die for you. Why? It's not valuable enough. Only a sacrifice of infinite worth could give you eternal life. That's why God came in Jesus Christ. And He is fully man because He had to be a perfect man to live the life that you could not live, die the death that you deserved to be our perfect substitute. 
The Bible says he is everlasting father. Why? Because in Christ Jesus, you are given the right to become children of God. Not those who are born of the flesh or of the will, but those who are born of God. Those who believed upon him, the true light, are given the right to become children of God, John says. In him, we are dwelled with the Holy Spirit, who then we can look to our father in heaven and cry out, Abba, Father. We have been adopted as sons and daughters of God because of him. Not only that, but because of him, he has established a new humanity, no longer born into the image of our first father, Adam. Astrayed, estranged from the womb, going after our flesh. But now we have been born again into an image of a new father of Christ himself. My friends, he is Prince of Peace. This world cannot give you peace. It will just give you emptiness and pain. And everything that promises you peace in this world, you will go and you will find yourself emptier than you were before. And you will need more of it and more of it to find yourself less and less satisfied. But one touch of the Prince of Peace will put your heart right. Never again will you feel weary or strange. Never again will you feel the sorrow and pain of lostness. For once and for all, you can have the peace of God because of the Prince of Peace. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. My friends, I hope you know, uh, maybe you're not aware, but the world's a little crazy. And the rulers of this world are not often so wonderful. And we find ourselves in this nation divided and pulled apart, constantly in strife, constantly at war with one another. I am so glad to know that I belong to a king who can't be taken off the throne. I'm so glad that I belong to a king who can't be voted out. I'm so glad I belong to a king whose kingdom can never be divided, who can never be shaken, who can never be thrown down. He is king of kings. He is the greatest savior. My friends, He is the bread of life. Oh, do you hunger? Then come and partake of Him who is the bread of life and never hunger again. No longer fill the emptiness of this world, but partake of the manna from heaven, which is Jesus Christ, and be forever satisfied. He is the greatest Savior. My friend, He is the spotless Lamb of God and the suffering servant. In order for us to be made right, a sacrifice had to come. And from the very moment he was born in the the, the towns of Bethlehem where the sacrificial flocks of the temple were raised, it was made very clear from that very moment that this child would be the Lamb of God. From his very birth, he was draped in the shadow of the cross. Why? Because he came to die. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to die for you. As the spotless Lamb of God. And only He could bear that. He was a man of sorrows and sufferings. And He did it all for you. Though He was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking on the form of the servant, being obedient even unto death. Why did He do that? The writer of Hebrews says, because of the joy set before Him. Who is that joy? You are. You are the reason He came. You were the reason he died. You were the reason why he could say, Father, there's any way, let this cup pass. But if not, thy will be done. 
And he drank the cup of God's wrath fully for everyone who would trust in him. Therefore, if you're in Christ Jesus today, there is not a single drop of wrath left for you because he drank it all at Calvary. There's only life and joy. He is the greatest Savior because He is our great High Priest who is able to sympathize with us in every way. My friends, we so often hear this in the world today. If God is so good and so wonderful, how can there be evil in the world? No doubt the problem of evil is a difficult one. And it is heartbreaking and sorrowful. Thanks be to God that we know that all of those things work out for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. But nevertheless... There is no God, no religion in this world that offers anything the way that Christ does. Because Christ looks at the problem of evil. He comes down to earth, takes upon all of the sorrow and suffering Himself in order to become the only solution for evil. He alone bears the pain of evil. No other God can offer that. No other religion can offer that. That the very God Himself who created all things looks at the sorrows and sufferings of His people which He did not bring. They brought upon themselves and He says, I'll take it upon Me. And He bore it to become the only solution for the problem of evil. He is the greatest Savior not because He is our friend. Jesus said... Greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends, and you are my friends. Oh, to be a friend with God. And that's what you are in Christ. You are a friend with God. Can you not celebrate that this morning? You are friends with God if you are in Christ. From enemies to friends, from enemies to children. From enemies to those he loves and cares for and showers and sings over and pours out his mercy new every morning upon. That's who you are in Christ because he's the greatest savior. My friends, there's, he is the greatest savior for so many reasons, which time would not allot us this morning. But the reason why ultimately he's the greatest savior is because he's the only savior. There is no other The Bible says that there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved than that of Jesus Christ. He is the only Savior. Because He alone can bear all of the things necessary. He alone can bear the weight of your sin and your iniquity. He alone can provide a perfect sacrifice. He alone can impute to you the perfect righteousness of God. He alone can do it. And that's what makes Him the greatest Savior. So this morning... I don't care how bad you are, how dark you are. Jesus did not come to call the righteous. He came to call the sinners. He came to call the sick. He can bear your burdens. He is patient. He has put up with you and He loves you and He cares for you. And He says, pour it all on me this morning. I will bear it. I will bear it and I will give you my yoke, which is easy and light. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, Jesus says. My friends, He is the greatest Savior to the greatest sinners because He provides for us the greatest salvation. What makes this salvation so great? First and foremost, it's immediate. It's immediate. Right where you are, right now, on the basis of grace alone, through faith alone, you can be made right with God. Right now. You can have peace with God in an instant. If you but repent and turn to Him in faith. To turn from your sin and turn to Christ. Immediately you are given salvation. You don't have to wait and wonder. 
You don't have to wring your hands and fret and anxiety the rest of your life going, I hope I'm going to make it. No, if you're in Christ today, you can know with absolute immediate certainty, heaven is secure for you. It's immediate. This salvation is not waiting. He doesn't say, well, let's see how you do with this before I actually give you my final answer. No, if you turn to Him in faith today and you cry out to Him for salvation, it is immediate and once and for all. That is wonderful news. My friends, you could do nothing to earn your salvation. It is the greatest gift in the world. And what do you do with gifts? You don't earn them. You don't work for them. That would make it a wage. You receive them. That's it. That is what you do with Christ this morning. You receive Him. You enjoy it. Be satisfied with it. For it is the greatest gift of all. Not only is it immediate, but this salvation is transformative. Meaning, it doesn't leave you the way you are. I want you to know this morning, you can come to Jesus just as you are. As dark and wicked and bad as your past may be. But here's the news. He won't leave you that way. Thank God He won't leave us that way. Look at who Paul was. He went from being a persecutor of the church, trying to stop it out at every turn, to becoming its greatest missionary. Why? Jesus. That's the difference. There's only one difference from Saul of Tarsus to Paul the missionary, and the answer is Jesus. That's the only difference. It's Christ. He didn't gain any other new knowledge except Jesus. Jesus changes everything. You may be saying today, Blake, I can't change. I've tried every step. I've tried to hide these feelings and try to push down this temptation over and over again, and I just can't do it. There was a song a few years ago that celebrated this. Literally, the the main words of the song said, I can't change even if I wanted to, even if I tried. To which I say, that's right. You can't change. By yourself, you can't do anything. No matter how much you want it and try it, by yourself, you'll never be able to change. But my friend, God can change you. Jesus Christ can change you in an instant. And all of those feelings of lust and passions and desires, they may, you may have to war with them and fight with them, but He will give you power to overcome. He will give you victory. He will change you. He will change your passions. He will change your desires. He will transform you from being a rebel to a faithful servant of God. This is what makes it so wonderful. He's not asking you to be anything. He's asking you to receive Him and He'll make you precisely what He wants you to be. He will not leave you alone. He will change you, transform you. He will put in you a new heart. He will write His law upon it. He will make you precisely day by day through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to be conformed further and further to His image. So yes, you cannot change on your own, but Christ can. That is what makes this salvation so wonderful. He does not say, come to me and then figure it out. He says, come to me and I'll make you right. I'll make you right every step of the way. I will not give up on you. Every trial, every test that you face will work in you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I will change you. That's what he says to you this morning. 
He will do so. And finally, this greatest salvation is not only immediate, transformative, brothers and sisters, it's eternal. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believed in Him would not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. Christ doesn't just promise you a tomorrow. He promises you a forever. And if you're in Christ today, you can know that no matter what tomorrow brings, no matter what pain or sorrows may come, you can have hope, you can have joy, you can have celebration, because your eternity is secure. In Christ Jesus. It's good as secure. For all eternity, you will behold the face of Him who will wipe away all tears, who will sing over you with loud songs of joy, the Bible says. All eternity, you will look upon Him who is infinite, on who is eternal. Day by day by day of eternity, your heart will be moved into a state of worship like no other, which is why I've said and will say over and over again, there's no other place you can be this morning. This, when we gather together on the Lord's day, this is a, a foreshadow of heaven. That brothers and sisters who got no business being together with the exception of Christ will spend forever joying Him, enjoying Him to the fullest. You know why you can't get bored in heaven? Because He's an infinite being. How long does it take to learn an eternal being? Eternity. You'll never grow bored or tired or old. Every day will be a new one. With new joys and new splendors and new majesty. And this is what Christ gives to those who come to Him by faith. My friends, this is a most trustworthy Christmas message. Jesus, the greatest Savior, came to provide the greatest salvation to even the greatest of sinners. And I pray today that if you've yet to come to Christ, no longer will you run. No longer will you pretend like everything's okay when you know it's not. No longer will you go out today, go open presents, eat lunch with your family, do all of those things, and have that sense in your heart that just feels a little empty. Because you know deep down inside, in the midst of all your celebration, your heart's not right. You don't need to run anymore. Christ stands ready to save you this very moment. Will you not turn to Him? Will you not run to the One who loves you and who came for you? Will you not embrace the greatest Savior of all? Paul said, I acted all of that way ignorantly and unbelief, which is why God forgave me. What changed the difference from ignorance to knowledge? He saw Christ. And my friend, this morning, Christ has been put before you. So no longer can you use ignorance as an excuse. So come to Christ. Everything that you long for and desire is found in Him alone. And you will never be satisfied until you are satisfied in Him. And Christians, those of you who have come to Christ, you know what I want you to do today? And the rest of this holiday season and forevermore, I want you to celebrate. I want you to feast. 
I want you to sing. I want you to dance. I want you to rejoice. Why? Because we're the only reason. We're the only people who have a reason to this morning. We are saved. We have Christ. We are friends with God. We have peace with God. We have joy in God. We we have hope because of God. How can you not go and feast and celebrate? So go and love on your family. Go and celebrate. Go enjoy it. Go tell it to everybody though why you're doing it. We're singing because Jesus. We're celebrating gifts because Jesus. We're eating together because of Jesus. Because He is worthy of all praise. Is He worthy? My friends, He is the greatest Savior who has provided the greatest salvation to even the greatest sinner. What a trustworthy Christmas message. I hope that you will come this morning and receive it fully. Reflect upon your hearts this morning why we celebrate and never ever lose sight of the Savior you have in Jesus. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy to live lives of worship. He is worthy of everything that you have. Because all He asks for is you. Will you not hold it back any longer? Come to the one who loved you, who died for you, who lived for you, who raised for you, who rules for you, and who will come back for you. Oh, isn't he wonderful? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for his goodness, for his glory. We thank you so much for the splendor of his majesty, for the glories of his salvation, for the truth of his person. Lord, every day of our life started off by putting a vision of Christ upon our eyes. That we would live a constant life of the glories of Jesus before us. That we would know that apart from Him, Lord, we would have nothing. We are nothing. But that He has given us meaning, value, purpose, life, joy, peace, hope, salvation. For that He is eternally worthy of praise. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who has yet to make it, has yet to come to Christ, who has yet to turn their life to Him, who has yet to repent of their sin and to come to Him to find the joy and peace and salvation that their soul is so desperately longing for, Lord, I pray that they will come, that they will surrender to Jesus this very moment and feel of the immediate, transformative, eternal salvation that is found in Him and Him alone. Lord, we are all sinners, so unworthy. But Lord, we are thankful for your grace. We sing of your grace. And Lord, now as you hold out your hand of gracious salvation to those who might come, wherever they are, whether they come forward or whether in their hearts, God, let us all renew our covenant commitments with you or make them for the first time this morning that we will live for you. Because you came for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.